Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. Happy New Year! What we've got on deck this week. First, California has become the first sanctuary state for child abusers. We're going to talk about serial killing men who can kill their female victims and still get to be called ladies by the prison system, the legal system, and the press. We're going to talk a little bit about Marxism and telling the truth about Marxism and what it is. And I'll give you a hint. It's murderous. And all of this, everything we're going to talk about today, is right out in the open in plain sight. None of it's hidden. None of it's abstruse. None of it is something that's difficult for people to see. It's not a question of people not being able to see this. It's a question of whether people are allowed to notice it or whether they believe they're allowed to notice it and to say something about it. So let's start with California. <laughs> you know that you know that saying, um, oh, you know what I have to do here? I have this fancy timer so that I don't go over. And now I just turned it on. You're welcome. Okay, so that saying about um, all good things and bad things start in California. I used to say that, too. Well, it isn't true. Only bad things start in California. <laughs> and this is a bad one. Senate Bill 107 went into effect January 1st. The governor signed it. What is it? This is from the post-millennial. Quote, the law allows individual minors or minors with their family to be unencumbered from out-of-state authorities who have warrants, subpoenas, or other child custody jurisprudence so long as the minor is now in California looking for a prescription of cross-sex hormones or surgical gender reassignment. Continuing with the post-millennial, quote, the law also prohibits law enforcement agencies from, quote, making or intentionally participating in the arrest of an individual pursuant to an out-of-state arrest warrant based on another state's law against receiving or allowing a child to receive gender-affirming health care. Let me put that into plain English for you. So long as the kid... Or the kid's mommy, and yes, it's always going to be mommy, except one time out of a hundred, because it's mothers who trans their children. As long as the kid or mommy brings the child bodily to California and says, we are here to help affirm my child's gender identity, then all of a sudden, family court orders, court orders, arrest warrants, child custody agreements, any legal document from another state, California is now saying they will refuse to recognize it. So how does the law describe itself? Listen carefully to the wording. This is directly from the law itself. Quote, a court of this state has temporary emergency jurisdiction if the child is present in this state and the child has been abandoned or it is necessary for an emergency to protect the child because the child or a sibling or parent of the child is subjected to or threatened with 
mistreatment or abuse, or because the child has been unable to attain gender-affirming health care or gender-affirming mental health care. You notice, of course, how the law, as badly written, as grammatically incoherent as it has been written, confuses deliberately the idea of child abuse and neglect with refusing to poison and mutilate the child. Gender-affirming care is physical poison. It comes in the form of Lupron, which is a puberty blocker and stops that child's natural development. It is a form of mutilation when the breasts of young girls are cut off for elective mastectomies because they believe that they are men. This is not affirming care. This isn't care of any sort. It's surgical, chemical, and psychological mutilation and abuse. Post Maloney says, the law also says California will, quote, not honor a law of another state that authorizes a state agency to remove a child from their parent or guardian. Based on the parent or guardian allowing their child to receive gender-affirming health care, end quote, if a case is pending in the courts of California. So here's what's going to happen. Any parent who wants to transfer kid and wants to game the custody battle in court will simply go to California with her kid. Another term for that is parental abduction. Once they're there, she's going to say that her child was, quote, abused by, quote, being denied life-saving care, not being mutilated, not being lied to, not being sterilized. That's the abuse. You know, so cutting off, um, you know, if, if um, cutting off the breasts or testicles or sterilizing the child permanently is not offered, this will be called abuse. The withholding of that abuse will be called abuse. Remember, Cluster B is all about the narcissistic reversal. This is this is California is turned by law has now turned into a literal, not a metaphorical, a literal haven for cluster B borderline narcissistic mothers who express it through Munchausen syndrome by proxy, because that is what, quote, trans children are. There is no such thing as a trans child, of course, because there's no such thing as a trans person. The people exist. The I was born in the wrong body is a fantasy. It's not real. There's no person on the face of the earth who is, quote, genuinely transgender. There are only people with traumas and delusions. And transing children is Munchausen syndrome by proxy. It's the thing that everyone used to be able to recognize in the 1990s when it was a big topic of public conversation, and it was featured as a plot line in films like the horror movie The Sixth Sense. We're all very used to seeing the made-for-television movies about mothers who poison their children or um, engage in a charade with uh, a hospital system in which they pretend that their child has cancer or some rare form of diabetes, but it's actually mom who's injecting insulin into the kid or mom who's putting some sort of poison or chemical into the child's lunch. That is what transgender children are. This is simply socially acceptable Munchausen's by proxy. It's a nightmare. But it's worse than that. This law, this law is flatly unconstitutional. That part about not honoring court orders from other states and instructing California police to deny court orders and not to arrest people who have a warrant out for them, 
let me remind California of Article 4, Section 1 of the United States Constitution. Quote, Full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts, records, and judicial proceedings of every other state. And the Congress may, by general laws, prescribe the manner in which such acts, recordings, and proceedings shall be proved and the effect thereof." End quote. That article is part of what makes the United States the United States. This is what makes travel and commerce across state lines possible. This is what makes the United States that all of us, you, your mother, your father, me, all of us are used to. It's because of the Constitution. California is saying they are going to defy the Constitution. Does no one recognize this? I'm really surprised because as I watch this go along, I'm not seeing anybody point this out. I, it is very, very possible that I've missed it. Very possible. However, it is strange, actually, I think. Unless I may be wrong here. I mean, if there's a constitutional lawyer in the audience and I've gotten this wrong and it's not actually uh, in violation of the Constitution, then please do school me. Leave a comment in uh, YouTube. I don't think I'm wrong, but it's possible that I'm wrong. But why— why am I seeing nobody in my field of view as I look out at all the public commentary on this? Nobody is saying this is unconstitutional. It's weird. It, it disturbs me. Um, let's take a look at the sponsor of this bill, the man responsible for shepherding this through. This is a picture of California state elected official Scott Weiner. I helpfully gave you that little arrow. Uh, so you can see him hanging out with all the other gay bears, you know, leather harnesses, looking real hot. <laughs> so disgusting. Here's a quote from Scott. Tonight at midnight, SB 107 goes into effect and California officially becomes a state of refuge for trans kids and their families as red states pursue hundreds of laws criminalizing LGBTQ people. Not true. Back to the quote. With incitement to violence all too common. Also not true. California stands strong as a beacon of hope. Hope. Yeah. Back to the post-millennial. Quote, Wiener has also brought forward bills that relax laws for the sex offender registry, puts biological males into women's prisons, and has worked to decriminalize those who infect others with HIV, that is the virus that produces AIDS, infects others with HIV after not telling them of their HIV positive status. Wiener also supports public heroin injection sites and decriminalizing prostitution. Do we see yet what is right in front of us? Furries. You know about furries? They're grown adults, sometimes teenagers, but all too often grown adults who put on full-sized animal costumes. They look like they're wearing the animatronic shells of the Chuck E. Cheese um, jam band, except they're usually much more sexualized. It's a community, the furries are. Remember the advice 
from childhood about wolves in sheep's clothing. You know the phrase wolves in sheep's clothing, right? We know what it means. The wolf dresses up like a sheep because he wants to eat the sheep. So he disguises himself so the sheep thinks that he's safe. There's a reason why ideologues and cultists and the woke are telling you to shut up about noticing that how a person presents themselves tells you something about that person's character and about that person's motivations, because these people know that that is true. It does tell you information you can work on. They have to lie to you and say that it isn't true and it's actually bigotry, and they need you to believe that. And you might be shocked at how far some people will take this. Here is an image of a very popular children's book, I think it was from last year, called Brenda is a sheep. It's a cartoon picture of an obvious wolf with wolf teeth wearing a sweater, and it says, Brenda is a sheep. It's right there. It's directly right there. The author, Morag Hood, whatever Morag means, it's probably Welsh, <laughs> um, she is literally taking that piece of advice, wolves in sheep's clothing, and saying, it isn't true. It's not true. You're not in danger. This is wicked. It's not just a disagreement. It's wicked to do this. This creature that you see is, is a wolf, but it, it's a sheep. The wolf is a sheep. If you as a sheep are afraid of Brenda or try to say that Brenda is actually a wolf, you, Madam Sheep, are a bigot and evil. You are the dangerous one. It's got 4.8 out of five stars on Amazon. Very happy with the reviews. This is how bad the situation really is. From Redux, a feminist website, I'm going to, as usual, all of this will be linked for you. These media articles will be linked in the show notes. Uh, Redux has some of the best reporting on this trans lunacy of anybody out there. I don't know how many people are at this small collective, but their, their reportage on this is trustworthy and it's top notch. Um, from a recent story. A furry has been arrested on charges of kidnapping after allegedly grooming a 13-year-old boy and taking him from his family. Aaron Zeman, also known as Tadashi Kura Kojima, oh, kawaii, was apprehended in Grand Island, Nebraska, on December 28th after being reported to police by a gas station attendant. The attendant had become suspicious after seeing Zeman's car parked in the lot for an extended period of time. Once police arrived, they found a 13-year-old boy who had been the subject of an active Amber Alert in the vehicle. The victim had been, reporting miss had been reported missing by his family in Layton, Utah on December 27th. A desperate campaign for information was launched on Facebook with the community rallying to try and locate the boy. In a local media report on the disappearance, the family stated that they discovered Zeman, 26, and their son had begun communicating via Twitter and text now in late November. Zeman had been sending and requesting lewd images from the minor. But furries are just quirky and lovable weirdos, right? And don't love a few bad apples, spoil the bunch. That's another reversal. The actual phrase is, a few bad apples will spoil the bunch. Will, not won't. Don't let people reverse on you. 
protecting the reputation of the good furries is more important than stopping the adult wolves from eating the sheep children. Here's a picture of Aaron Zeman. Isn't he nice? Back to Redux. Quote, on one of his accounts, where Zeman uses the name Hunter Horny Fox, he describes himself as a, quote, gay demi furry fox and appears in his profile photo wearing a leather pup mask. Yeah, puppy play. Almost all of the tweets on the account on the account are highly sexual, and Zeman posted several photos of his genitals. Let's get I'm not going to show you his genitals. I am going to show you what he said to a 13-year-old boy. <clears throat> I love you so heckin' much, my lamb. I was looking at your pictures and goddamn, I want to slide into your throat so bad. Give daddy's tip a little kiss, then let me feel my baby boy's soft, beautiful lips, my love. Mmm, pretty please, baby. My lamb. Can we see it yet? In another tweet from December 12th, Seaman posts the lyrics to his song from Dora the Explorer titled... I'm the map. While the song is about a literal map, a personified cartoon map, a cartographic map, about a literal map who helps Dora find her way, MAP is commonly understood to be an acronym for minor attracted person, a term which is largely seen as an attempt to rebrand pedophilia as a more acceptable attraction. It's widely seen that way because that is what it is. Do we see yet what's going on in plain sight right in front of us? On December 18th, Zeman posted a photo of drug paraphernalia he was collecting to share with his, quote, baby boy. In the tweet, he writes, did I mention we're going on a trip? He he can't wait, my lamb. Let's go. I guess we're going on two kinds of trips. He 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 he. When I was 15 years old, I was horny. <laughs> horny, misguided, mentally broken. Living in a glorified orphanage, a group home for boys, for troubled boys, of course, it really, it was our parents who were troubled. This was the late 80s, and there were few to no opportunities for boys like me or, or girls who liked girls to date or have romance in any sort of normal way. You still couldn't, well, I was going to say you couldn't come out. You could come out. I did, in fact. I mean, I, I did come out in high school. But you couldn't do that without suffering some more serious consequences than you'd suffer today. You, you get nothing but plaudits and claps today. In those days, you got beat up. And the administration and the, the, um, the faculty didn't do anything about it in my experience, where I was. 
So I, this, this makes a kid really, really vulnerable. And I started scanning the personal ads in the local alternative newspaper. Yes, newspaper. It had to be done on paper. Everything was done by letter to P.O. boxes. This was prior to the Internet. And I saw an ad from some guy in there that appealed to me, and I wrote to him, to his P.O. box, and um, I told him I was 15, but I was a very mature 15. And I don't remember exactly what I told him, but it was very clear that this was about sex. And he, of course, I couldn't get a P.O. box. I was a 15-year-old. So what he would do is write notes, and, and um, he put a, a color print, a picture of himself in an envelope, which he came by the group home uh, in the dead of night and stuck in the bushes in a special place for me to find. And his notes were full of words like that. My baby boy, my special boy, how pretty you are, how lovely, how mature you are. It wasn't right then, and it isn't right now. It's time for a break. We'll see you on the other side. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today. Welcome back. Time for listener mail. Or, well, I'm calling it listener mail because I don't know what to call. This is coming from the Discord, which is another reason why you should support us at the $10 level or higher, because you get access to our 24-7 chat Discord server, and lots of good stuff comes up in there. This is from Jack. I'm going to read a few paragraphs from him. You've heard me go on about how everything is falling apart, the social contract, etiquette, Behavior on the roads, behavior just walking down grocery store aisles, everything is falling apart. It's not just me. It's not just that I'm a cranky old man. It's partly that, but it's mostly because I'm absolutely right, because it's me. (laughs) Jack says, yesterday I went to, Lord, I forgot my borderline glasses, my reading glasses. So you guys, this is this is what I'm doing. I can't read anything closer than this. Um, yesterday I went to Best Buy and asked for a desktop computer with USB-C video output. A man clearly didn't want to help me and just pointed to the part of the store that has computers. When I said I can't see them, he huffed at me, walked over and said, we only have two and walked off. So I went and found somebody else, a young girl. I asked her, excuse me, can you tell me if this has USB-C video output? 
She looked confused and then said, yes, it does. I wasn't convinced, but she said yes, and I believed her. Get back to my office. It doesn't work. No USB-C video output, which is what I needed. Today, I returned to a different Best Buy in the hope that they have someone on staff who knows about computers, even just the basics. No. The guy didn't know what USB-C was. They tried to sell me a gaming PC. I needed USB-C so the built-in webcam on my monitor will work. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody cares about doing their job well. Nobody cares about helping customers. And a lot of the time, it's my generation, Jack says. And Jack is 29 years old. And sadly for Jack, he's right, it is his generation. It's, lo it's lonely for somebody who's that age who is, um, well, I was, I was telling Jack when I was talking with him a couple weeks ago, I keep forgetting he's in his 20s. I just figure he's my age because he's so damn sensible about everything. Isn't that narcissistic of me? Anyway, back to what he said. Um, it's my generation. Nothing works anymore. Nobody takes pride in what they do. People are rude. The attitude I got from one guy in Best Buy today was unreal. I lost my temper with him and dropped the F-bomb and left. I am so done with this. I hear you, Jack. Cooper added this to the conversation. Check out this story. I went to the pharmacy to pick up medicine. There's a great pharmacist there, but only sometimes. When this idiotic kid is there, it's ridiculous. One day, it was clear that he didn't know the difference between an oral and a nebulized form of medication. I had taken both, and I knew what the boxes looked like, so I knew what he was giving me was the wrong one. He was trying to argue with me, and finally, I had to tell him firmly that he had no idea what the fuck he was talking about. Then some woke Karen told him how much she appreciates all that he does. How is it okay for a pharmacist to not know what he's doing? Then the person correcting him turns out to be the bad guy? <laughs> Cooper, I hear you too. <laughs> Did you, I want to point out that intervention um, by, by the woke Karen. Oh, I appreciate all that you do. Instead of, that was the response from a coworker. To a coworker who is a pharmacist, giving this person the wrong form of medication. What concerned Karen? Not that the patient was getting wrong medication. Her first motivation, the first thing she thought to do, was to go and assuage his ego in front of the woman criticizing him who had a legitimate criticism. The wrong medication can be danger. Why do I have to explain this? I appreciate all that you do. Are you going to appreciate it when he kills somebody? You idiot. <laughs> Let's switch gears to Marxism. That ought to make me calmer. <laughs> uh, about a year ago, when I was still working at Funeral Consumers Alliance, um, we were discussing, I don't remember exactly what it was, but one, one of the affiliated member organizations in our federation had gone very, very woke. And we were, we were discussing some of their initiatives and some of the content they were putting out. And uh, not unexpectedly, I was the lone um, outspoken voice against uh, 
against their adoption of causes that had nothing to do with our consumer protection mission. And I described something, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I said, you know, this is just flat out communism. It's just communist rhetoric that's going on here. And one of my board members got a, a, a shocked look on her face. She was genuinely shocked. And she says, I, I, I don't understand what's wrong with being a communist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Lots of Americans don't know what's wrong with being a communist or a Marxist, and I didn't for a very long time. Why? Because we kids in the U.S. are not taught by our school system about the reality of these ideologies. We aren't. Even in the 80s, when I was in, in school, communism was glossed over as a thing the Soviet Union did. The problem wasn't communism. It wasn't that communism was a murderous ideology and, it, uh, um, and an ideology in contradiction to a human economic reality. It was that the bad Soviet Union did it. The bad guy was the Soviet Union. I mean, you know, fine, the Soviet Union was a bad guy, but communism is still bad even if the USSR didn't exist. Marxism, of course, wasn't even mentioned in school. Um, the impression that is left with many Americans, I think, about Marxism is that these are people who just have really, really left-wing politics, but, but still within the realm of respectability. I'm going to give you a gloss um, of a piece from Helen Dale's Substack. Helen Dale is my friend. She's both um, British and Australian novelist and retired lawyer. She's been on the show before. Um, and this is just a gloss. What I, I'm, I'm just doing commentating here. Her arguments are much more finely developed, but they're, they, they, you got to understand here. There are very few, there are many brilliant lawyers, but, and I've worked with a lot of them. I've worked with a lot of lawyers over 20 years. And I've met a lot of brilliant ones and some not brilliant ones. But there are very few of them who are good prose stylists. Few of them who can put complicated political and legal discussion into plain readable English. Helen is one of those. So even though this argument is more complicated, um, I urge you to go over to her substack and read the whole thing. Um, it'll be all clear to you. Quote, the record of revolutionary Marxism as a ruling ideology is quite simply the worst record of any political philosophy in human history. It has the worst record for mass murder in the order of 100 million dead from the deliberate killings, starvations, and policies of Marxist regimes. It has the worst record for tyranny. Every single revolutionary Marxist state has been a tyranny. It has an appalling record for cruelty mixed in with mass murder. It has generated a series of natural experiments of divided or adjacent societies where, Marx, where the Marxist regime has, over time, done much worse in promoting human flourishing than its mercantile equivalent. And Helen says that there are three general responses from Marxist true believers to any critics. And I'm paraphrasing here. This is not Helen's language. I'm boiling it down myself. Here are the three. A, it's justified because capitalism has to go. That's just taken as a given. Capitalism is bad and murderous. That is, um, that's assumed. It doesn't ever have to be justified. So uh, Marxism is justified because capitalism has to go. B, nah, there was no Max murder and Marxists never did nothing to nobody. You know, just basically, nah, it didn't happen. C, 
That's not real Marxism anyway. We've never tried real Marxism. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, it's thought provoking. Um, and I think it's worth your time. And it'll be in the show notes, too. We'll link you. Um, I have one more from her. Quote, who, for example, would try to excuse the Holocaust on the grounds that it, quote, wasn't authentic Nazism? When you see the Holocaust as an authentic manifestation of Nazism, while arguing that the Holodomor is not an authentic manifestation of Marxism, even when revolutionary Marxism produced similar terror famines in other times and places, then you have an utterly morally and intellectually diseased and contemptible perspective. Oh, thank you, Helen. <clears throat> Again, right in plain sight. It's right in plain sight if you allow yourself to see it. Do you remember last week when we talked? No, not last week, because last week was that Christmas New Year's show. Um, did I get this here later? Well, it doesn't matter. I'll just skip it over if I go out of order. Um, I talked a couple weeks ago about a killer named Scott McLaughlin who stalked um, his ex-girlfriend, Beverly Gunther, in 2000—was it 2003 or 2006— stalked her, stabbed her to death, left her body by the river after raping her corpse. Scott McLaughlin, three years ago, decided that he was Amber McLaughlin. I wonder why. And— petitioned for clemency, and the U.S. media, of course, lapped it right up and said in great big, bold, scary, 80-point type, U.S. set to execute first transgender woman. Hmm. Well, McLaughlin was executed. Good. We have a similar case told about the New York Post. An ex-caseworker at a Manhattan senior shelter claimed she was fired for warning that twice-convicted murderer Marceline Harvey threatened her, threatened the worker, at the facility even after the alleged serial killer was charged in the grisly slaying of a former resident. And here's a picture of Monica Archer. She's the former employee who's suing her former employer. And, of course, we don't know what actually happened. Um, this will come out in court. I can tell you, though, that my plausibility meter is all the way over here on Monica's side, um, provisionally. If it turns out this isn't true, then it'll turn out that it isn't true. But I'm pretty confident it's going to turn out to be true, real confident. Quote, Monica Archer, who worked at George Daly House, a short-term housing alternative for seniors in Alphabet City, that's in New York City, <clears throat> excuse me, alleged in a 16-page lawsuit filed Monday that 83-year-old Marceline Harvey was allowed to live at the facility despite the warnings. Bosses at the nonprofit then elected to move Harvey into her own apartment, and one week later, she, Marceline Harvey, was charged with the murder and dismemberment of her gal pal—sorry, this is New York Post—according to the Manhattan Supreme Court complaint. 
Quote, to the detriment of the public, when Ms. Harvey was placed into society in her own apartment, Ms. Harvey allegedly murdered a former resident no more than a week later, clearly in opposite to the best interests of public safety, the filing reads. Mm, yes, definitely in opposite. Amber started at the shelter... Archer, excuse me, Monica Archer, the former employee. Archer started at the shelter in September 2019 and said everything was fine until she started speaking out about how Harvey, quote, often acted in an erratic and dangerous manner. The octogenarian ex-con, a transgender woman on lifetime parole after spending 50 years in prison, for killing and dismembering two other women, quote, made constant threats to kill Archer and other staff members and allegedly kept a gun at the shelter, according to the lawsuit. Still, bosses continued to allow Harvey to reside there, quote, knowing that she had been accused of and convicted of several murders, allegedly possessed a gun, and regularly threatened to kill staff members. Here's a picture from last year of the police looking for body parts in trash bags on the street corner of Manhattan. And they found them in those trash bags and other places. The body parts of dismembered murder victim Susan Layden, killed by Marceline Harvey, allegedly. Do you notice that this lawsuit, even this lawsuit itself, respects the pronouns? You know they're forced to do this because the court would penalize them if they didn't. That's how sick our society is, okay? Would you like to see Marceline? Um, here she is. Here's a portrait. Pretty pretty, huh? <laughs> All right. Okay, that wasn't fair. That was a little cheap on my part. She was, of course, in that picture without makeup. So let's give her her due and show a picture of when she's looking pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but wait. Who's this being arrested? This looks like a really tall man. What's going on, guys? The post caption on this photo even says Marceline Harvey, who identifies as a woman. <laughs> guess what his real name is? Just guess. <laughs> Harvey Marceline. <laughs> Sorry, if you are new to this show, I know I'm, I'm laughing at something that is incredibly grotesque and grisly. It's horrifying. This is how I cope, okay? This is how I cope. I've coped this way since I was a little kid and I lived in a nightmare household. I don't think this is anything genuinely funny, but I do think it's ridiculous and I do think I need to laugh. It's either that or Klonopin. Um, All you have to do these days is say, I'm a woman Switch your first and last names, and you've got the New York Post, the aggrieved employee's lawyer, the courts, and the general public calling this fucking monster a woman. 
Why was this serial killer back out on the street anyway? What the hell is lifetime parole? How about lifetime in prison? Oh, 83 years old. Well, unlikely to hurt anyone else. And she's a woman, too, and we know that women don't usually do this. <laughs> do we see it yet? Do we see what's right in front of our faces? Do we see it? Okay, we're coming up on a break, and we would really love to have your support. As a reminder, and for those of you who are new, right before Christmas, uh, the big platform that we got most of our donations on, Patreon, banned us because we were inciting hatred and violence against protected communities, of course, because this is the most violent and murderous show um, that has ever been on YouTube. So they banned us, and they took literally 90%, 90% of our income. It just went away. Um, we're having to try to get that back because it's— you know, we've got some loyal viewers, we've got loyal donors, um, but we still need to grow. Our bills still are not paid, and I'm still out of a job personally. Um, sign up to support us. We'd love to have you join our Discord. It's very easy to do. Go over to Substack. We're at disaffectedpod.substack.com. Your other alternative <clears throat> is the platform called Subscribestar. You can go to subscribestar.com slash disaffected and join there. And regardless of which of those platforms you join on, you get exactly the same video content. You get all of my written essays. You get the same invitations. Time for a break. We'll see you and close up the show. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. I should have done this top of the show, but I have a correction. And again, thank you, viewers and listeners, for correcting me. I do appreciate it. I mispronounced the name of a controversial therapist who offers services to gay people who want to explore their sexuality and potentially change it. I called him Joseph Nicolisi. That is incorrect. It is Nicolosi. Thank you very much. I am a pedant. I correct people all the time but I do actually want to be corrected myself too so that I can be even more perfect than I already am. Um, speaking of perfection, you could not spend a better hour of your time than consulting one-on-one -on -one with me. 
<laughs> for those of you who don't know, I do offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and consulting services for people who are trapped or feel trapped in abusive manipulative relationships that usually, although not necessarily, involve cluster B personality disorders, whether it's a spouse, um, siblings, parents, church groups. Um, if you want to get a sense for what those sessions are like, go to Substack, uh, disaffectedpod.substack.com. There was an article. It's about eight back now. It's probably two weeks old. We posted one session. Um, one of my clients actually allowed me to record and share his story with you. Uh, so we did the whole session as a recording so you can hear the kinds of conversations we have. If it's something that's interesting to you, my availability has gotten a lot wider. My calendar is a lot wider open than it was before because I don't have a paid job right now. Visit joshuaslocum.net. Now, uh, here's the part. Here's where I anticipated myself about the Scott McLaughlin, Amber McLaughlin execution. So I, I told you about that. <clears throat> and this happens every time. Here's a picture of a Wokey from Twitter. You'll see hundreds of these anytime a topic like this comes up. She's upset that Amber McLaughlin's pronouns were not respected. So she, Corrine, Corrine Kelly, says, and she's responding to a podcaster who had tweeted something about this case. So Corrine is responding to this podcaster. Ugh, such a shame. My fiancé and I listened to your podcast religiously. The transphobic message and your allowing of these comments is disgusting, Laura Richards, 99. This person is guilty of murder and should be, one, found guilty, two, still be called by their preferred pronouns. Okay, bitch, then why aren't you doing it? Amber McLaughlin's preferred pronouns aren't they, them, they're she, her. Why don't you respect those, Corrine? Hmm? Hmm? Idiot. All these people are idiots. Corrine sees this. She sees it as surely as I do. She sees it as surely as all of you do. She knows this isn't a woman. She knows that Scott McLaughlin was Scott McLaughlin and not Amber McLaughlin. She knows that a man stalked, killed, then raped the corpse of his ex-girlfriend, Beverly Gunther. Don't forget her name. She's the real victim here, not Scott McLaughlin. But yet she still supports this wicked, wicked, evil behavior, worrying about the preferred pronouns of a rapist murderer. Those of you listening and watching, Corrine may be that far gone, but you're not. You're not that far gone. Push back, okay? Not just privately, please. I don't ask people to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. In fact, I ask people to do less than I'm willing to do myself. I'm not asking you to do what I do. Not everybody wants to put their face and their voice in front of a camera and say the things that I say the way that I say them. I'm very public. I'm not asking you to do that. 
I'm asking you to do things like refuse to do this in conversation with your friends at lunch. Refuse to respect the pronouns. When somebody comes along and pulls a Corian like that, speak up and push back against it. I'm not asking you to do something too much. I'm not asking you to do something you're incapable of. And I don't want to hear how frightened you are because I don't care. I'm scared all the time. There are some times when I sit down to do this show and I'm shaking with anxiety. Yeah, partially because I'm high strung to begin with, but also because I talk about things that I never know from week to week if this is gonna get me pulled off YouTube, if I'm gonna be canceled somewhere else, and I still do it. I lost my job over this. You can do a little bit less. Thank you. Let's talk about the Red Cross, the American Red Cross and the blood donation system and so-called trans women. Back in the 1980s when AIDS was new. <laughs> new AIDS. <laughs> there was a teenager named Ryan White who got HIV from tainted blood during a transfusion. If I remember correctly, it was dental surgery, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. Um, that very unfortunate, and he died eventually of AIDS in 1990. That pushed the blood supply and collection system to get very picky about screening, good thing. And for a long time, up until very, very recently, just the past couple of years, gay men couldn't give blood at all. Well. I'll give them this. They call it men who have sex with men um, because it isn't actually your sexuality directly that affects this. But if you are a man who has sex with men, you are statistically much more likely to have and or transmit HIV than during heterosexual pairings or if you're celibate. That's just simply a biological fact. Years ago, this this the fact that that I, for example, couldn't donate to, I couldn't donate my blood. This made me very angry. I thought to myself, not every gay man has HIV. And besides, shouldn't they be testing everything anyway? Isn't this just an excuse to discriminate against me? Like the Red Cross gave a shit about Joshua Slocum. Because it was something I couldn't have and something I wasn't allowed to do that I saw straight people could do, it counted as an oppression against me. Somebody did me an oppress. Yeah, I used to be like this. That was my immature thinking, and that immature thinking is still very common among grown-up gay men today. Grown-up as in my age, close to 50 and older, okay? Um, I may be a late bloomer in coming to my political and, and uh, uh, or at least some semblance of ethical maturity, but I'm not that late a bloomer. Well, the reality is you can't test every single donation of blood, probably. Statistical, the statistical likelihood of getting a tainted donation based on the population you're getting them from is real. You can measure this statistically, and it's reasonable to put filters in place, heuristics or shortcuts or algorithms, if you will, that cut down on the likelihood. It's, it reminds me of, uh, you know, I, I love plane, <laughs> I don't love plane crashes. <laughs> Joshua Slocum loves to see hundreds of people die in fiery kerosene explosions. 
only once in a while. I love watching um, forensic documentaries about plane crashes. I'm absolutely fascinated by them. Um, there is something that, that aviation professionals talk about in terms of commercial airline safety, the systems that are in place uh, to catch human error, to catch uh, transcription error, maintenance record error. They call it the Swiss cheese model. I wish I could remember the man who came up with this. But it, imagine a block of cheese, a rectangular block of cheese. This is your brain on drugs. All the random holes in Swiss cheese. If you slice through it, if you try to send a stick, a stick or something, a piece of something into one of the holes of Swiss cheese, you might get through the first hole, but the holes stop, and then you're going to hit a wall of cheese, and then there's another hole over here. The more slices of cheese you have with more randomly placed holes, the more foreign object intrusion you're going to stop. So each slice is a layer of protection. When you start taking those slices out, you start making it more likely that the foreign object or contaminant is going to get through. And in, in the airplane case, you're more likely um, to allow a potentially fatal error to get through. And I think of this um, system the Red Cross is using as sort of the Swiss cheese model. Right? You've got various layers of protection. Um, but a few years ago, the Red Cross started relaxing these rules. At first, gay men who hadn't had sex for a year could donate, whereas before they couldn't donate at all. Now it's men who haven't had sex in three months. You can't donate if you've had sex within three months. But my question is why? On What is this based on? What is being assumed that makes this statistically more likely to prevent tainted blood donations and more likely to get healthy blood donations. This is, I've been able to find out the answer for this. It's, I suspect it's not about safety at all, and you'll see why I suspect that. It's not for science, it's for feels, for people's feels. So I went and visited the American Red Cross after I saw somebody mentioning this, and this is what I found. Quote, the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA guidance revised recommendations for reducing the risk of human immunodeficiency virus transmission by blood and blood products states that you must defer for three months. Deferral is their word for ban or you can't donate. Defer for three months from the most recent sexual contact, a man who has had sex with another man during the past three months. All U.S. blood collection organizations must follow this federal requirement. Okay. Here's the next quote from the Red Cross. The Red Cross recognizes the hurt this policy has caused to many in the LGBTQ plus community. The hurt. And believes blood donation eligibility should not be determined by methods that are based upon sexual orientation. We are committed to working with partners toward achieving this goal. Why? The, the hurt, the hurt this policy has caused. What hurt? It hurt my feelings. Excuse me, my feelings. My feels. The real harm here, the real potential for hurt, is giving somebody AIDS. Duh. They, 
You, you know, we talked about this before. Violence isn't violence. You can actually see somebody hitting someone over the head with a baseball bat, and these bastards will tell you that's not violence or it's justified. But telling them that they're not, in fact, a woman because they have a penis is, in fact, violence and should be punishable by physical altercation. Cuckoo reversal world. Here's the Red Cross, whose job it is, is to collect blood and make the blood safe. And their first priority is not keeping the blood safe. It's stopping the hurt to the LGBTQ plus community. This isn't—this is ego, right? That's ego. God, it's such nonsense. And it—you it, know— uh, That's why I talk about— that's why I talk about this stuff and admit that this was me, because I want people—I'm I, not trying to big myself up here. I don't mean this in some sort of self-congratulatory way. I want people to see an example of an adult who changed his mind and changed his, his, his positions on, on questions moral and ethical— just so that people can see that it's possible, first of all. It's not only possible, but it's something that grown-ups used to do much more frequently, and it wasn't considered a betrayal of their tribe the way it is these days. You know, and, and the other reason I do it is because although I think that the really hardcore people, the hardcore progressive leftist activists, the really hardcore woke are not salvageable. They, they are fully—they are, they are cult members. I'm not, they're not like cult members. They are cult members. And once you're fully indoctrinated into a cult, outside information and facts will not move you. It is entirely emotional and, and tribal, entirely 100 percent, has nothing to do with actual reality. But there are a lot of people out there who you might look at and think of them as woke or having excessively progressive liberal politics, they're not irremediable. They're not unable to change their mind. They may never change their minds. They may work through this. They may even have a conversation or an argument with you and decide that they're still committed to the same principles. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we diverge there. But it is possible not to be that person forever. It really is. That's my—that's the little bit of hope I want to give you. I'm not a very hopeful person, and I don't like—I don't like a lot of the hope talk. I don't like a lot of the, um, you know, look on the bright side, be optimistic. I think that's misled us, because I think things are worse than that, significantly worse. But not everything is 100 percent terrible, and this is an example. People can change. But the Red Cross won't tell us why they're doing this. They won't tell us— the scientific reasoning behind it, because they know there isn't any. They say that eligibility questions, quote, should not be based on sexual orientation because that is, quote, no longer necessary. Why? What changed in the physical world? And it's not even about sexual orientation. It's about whether you have biological sex with biological men. They're deliberately confusing these things for emotional reasons. Here's another quote. The FDA revised guidance states, quote, in the context of the donor history questionnaire, FDA recommends that male or female gender be taken to be self-identified and self-reported. Notice how they're deliberately pretending that they don't understand that biological sex is real. 
they they're pretending that they don't understand. They're pretending that the word gender isn't slippery and ambiguous, but they know that it is, and that's why they chose it. They're talking about self-reported gender, as if that had anything to do with the biological reality of male and female and uh, uh, risky sexual practices. Nothing at all. Here's another quote. This change allows blood donors to register with the gender in which they identify. The Red Cross will no longer ask donors to answer both male and female questions when attempting to donate. There is no deferral associated with being transgender, and eligibility will be based upon the criteria associated with the gender the donor has reported. See additional blood donation eligibility criteria. Here it is in plain English. If you say that you are a transgender woman, there is no ban at all and no deferral. Just say that you're a woman. Your sex will not be taken into account. It's right there. They just said it. It will not be taken into account. But if you don't say that you're transgender and you are a male and you're gay, you have to wait three months. But if you're actually male and gay, and having sex with men right now, but you say you're transgender, you're transgender and you identify as a woman, you pass automatically. The fact that you are having sex with men right now, which contradicts their eligibility guidelines, automatically, poof, gone. You're a woman. That's your self-reported gender. That's it. Arm, please. This is fucking lunacy. And this is the society we live in. This isn't just on TikTok. It's not just on Snapchat. It's not just on Twitter. This is the goddamn Food and Drug Administration and the American Red Cross. This is at the highest level. <laughs> Can we see yet? Can we see yet? What is in plain sight? What is right in front of us? Let's close up with a little bit of beauty. I give you a lot of ugliness, so I'm gonna give you a little bit of beauty. Like I tried to do for you last week at Christmas, but it wasn't good enough for any of you. Oh, I'm sorry, that was my my mother, my altar. Um, <laughs> I do have something for you to disbelieve your lying eyes about. So, we're gonna introduce you to Bella. Bella is advertising herself and her services on social media, and she says, hey, I'm Bella, I'm 32, I'm trans. I go by she, her, and I'm a sex worker. I'm new to it. I'm working on getting a site, but for now, I'll post here for little stuff to nudes. And I read it exactly as it was written without the punctuation and in the halting sing-song recitation voice of a four-year-old who is only just learning to read. Sounds tempting, doesn't she, Bella? Only 32? <laughs> New to it, too. <laughs> Maybe you can teach her stuff. Would you like to see Bella? Here's Bella. <laughs> okay, that's it. I'm out. See you next week. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. 
Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today.